So we have three young adult tr children. And as you know, we're also grandparents. We've got Emily, who's uh, 35. We've got Josie, who's 32, two daughters, and then a son, Chris, who's um, 30. He was 30 this year. Commissioner Norman, you and Marion, you knew our three when they were tiny, when we were serving on the training college and when our Chris was still in a high chair and used to fall asleep every lunchtime in the canteen um, because he liked chewing so much. It made him all drowsy and then he'd fall asleep. And you used to use that in a sermon, didn't you, as a, an illustration of relaxing in the love of God. Um, and so the other week, our daughter who's desperately trying to buy and sell her flat or sell and buy that way round, um, was doing a lot of clearing out and she came across a letter that her sister had written to her. And they were probably around uh, 13 and 15, something like this. And this is what Emily said to Josie in this letter, which is quite significant because for a sister to write a a letter to her sister is something, you know it's something important, don't you? Dear Josie, I'm sorry I forgot your polo shirt. I'll do my best to get it to you, for you, by lesson eight. I'll even do, do detention for you if I have to. Sorry I've upset you. I don't hate you at all. I love you loads. Big hugs and kisses, Emily. And this is the text, the, the WhatsApp. We've got a family chat, you see. So um, Josie put this up on family chat, um, the Minge family chat. And Chris, our boy, came back. Ha-ha, would love to know the backstory there. Also, a bit heartbreaking that you offered to do detention for her, Emily. Josie comes back. More heartbreaking that she must have told me she hated me prior to receiving this note of apology. Sisters, eh? Sisters. There had been a grand argument in the house, at which point they'd stormed off and one had said to the other, I absolutely hate you. They actually really love each other too, I have to say. Last week, Epiphany showed us God revealing himself in the storm. Today, God reveals himself at the extreme edge of our capacity to love, loving our enemies. I don't have any enemies, I hear you say. I think we all, on a certain day, experience what it means to have an enemy or to be an enemy. Because the biblical definition is the one who hates you or the one who wishes harm on you or is hostile to you. And I like this one, the one who might bite you. The one who might bite you physically, metaphorically. Have we not all experienced that? That we have felt that somebody might want to just bite us or snap us or that we want to do that to somebody else. I'm trying to get to the heart of what hate means. See, it's easy to love those we like, isn't it? We had a glorious wedding here yesterday with Stephen and Eldred. Wasn't it amazing, Scott? Now, if you told me that 
a wedding could be embedded in the middle of a band festival. I would have um, not believed that. However, there was the Regent Brass up here, of which Stephen and Elfred are parts. They're wonderful brass band players. And there were about 30 up here on the stage. Downstairs was packed. And during the wedding and before we had Psalm, Psalm of Praise, Light of the World, The Last Spring, Prelude from the Holberg Suite, Elsa's Procession, Share My Yoke, Light Walk, Fire in the Blood, and the Voldrace March, all within the space of an hour and within it, a wedding service. It was, you know, it's one of those things when you saw it on paper, it shouldn't have worked. But for those of us that were there, it was stunning, wasn't it? Don't you think, Denise? It was beautiful. It was a celebration. It was joyful. People were clapping. It was the most lovely thing. And I'm sure when Stephen and Alfred are back here to worship, we'll want to hear a bit more about that. But you saw the love between them. It was joyful. Two people in their 40s, never been married, met each other, fell in love. And it's easy to see the love between them. But the one who bites us, How we should um, treat our enemies it sort of develops through the biblical text from the Old Testament right through to the New. So there are kind of almost three stages, and I'll do it in that biting metaphor. Right at the beginning, the, the, the teaching is, if you're bitten, bite back as hard as you can, and as many people as you can, and as many things as you can. That was justice in the Old Testament. Then it got a bit more tame. It, it got to bite back, if you're bitten, to the extent you've got bitten. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus comes and he says, don't bite. Don't bite at all. Find a different way of loving our enemies. And so I believe this morning that Jesus speaks to the potential violence within all of us, ordinary people in whom on a bad day the desire to bite back is just one annoyance away. After all, under pressure, a threat is a threat. And there's so much packed into our text that Fiona read so beautifully for us this morning about loving Jesus. But the bit, I, I don't normally do this, but in our teaching I want to focus on just a couple of verses. And I've gone to Matthew for a reason, but, um, but I want to kind of go to that place in the text this morning because that's about loving to the extremes. It kind of gets to the very heart of all these marvelous verses. So in 27 to 28, the command to love enemies by seeking their good, blessing rather than cursing, lifting them to God in prayer, that's there. Verse 37, don't judge, don't stereotype others in negative ways. But 29, Luke chapter 6, verse 29, really gets to the heart of it. And throughout that wonderful scripture this morning that we were read, one word that threads all of it together is a Greek word called agape. It's a, it's a word you've probably heard before, haven't you? This word, agape, 
done a bit in Bible studies about it, maybe in youth events, maybe we've heard this word in church, agape, the wholehearted desire for somebody's well-being, nothing held back, no hesitation, no calculations of cost or benefit, no payoffs. Oddly, if you choose to agape me, you might not personally like me, you might not find me very attractive, you might actually need to oppose some of my behavior. Yet, if you agape me properly, I am always going to know and sense and feel your authentic desire for my well-being. I'm going to be able to trust that in you. When you tell me off, I'm going to know that. And this agape love underlines all of these verses in Luke 6. So on that basis of agape love, what we have before us in Luke chapter 6, verse 29, are a couple of humorous word pictures that Jesus used. I say humorous because they would have made his audience chuckle about what it means to love your enemies. And I'm using Matthew because we've got the same text, but actually in Matthew we get three word pictures not two. So I want to do the three this morning. Now, first of all, a health warning. We need to read Luke chapter 6 and verse 29 in its original social context. We've got to know where these word pictures came out of. If we don't, if we choose to read them literally off the page without knowing their history, we're going to get into terrible danger. Do you know why? Because we're going to skew the gospel to the idea that we should bear abuse for the sake of the gospel. And there's been so many misinterpretations of this in preaching and teaching down through the church. In other words, you should go a second mile and endure a marriage that's absolutely killing you. You should put up with bullying for the price of peace. Such peace, peace at any price sanctions all kinds of evil. And that's the health warning. And that's why it's important to understand when these, where these little kind of picture snapshots are coming from. So first of all, Jesus is preaching in a time when Israel is under occupation by the Romans, by the military empire. And his audience, the ones he gave these little word pictures to, that we're going to look at one by one in a second is largely made up of the servants and the slaves who were forced to serve the military. So that was his first audience. We've got to understand that. We also need to understand that these little word pictures, they come out of a very strict social code, kind of like a formal etiquette, where certain actions mean certain things, okay? So like the old thing about the jewel, you know, two people walking and then pointing guns at each other in the first one. It was that kind of formal action that meant something. 
So each word picture, and here's a clue that we're given, is offering us a different way to love our enemies, different to being violent and different to just laying down and rolling over. So having said that, let's look at the first one. And we are now going to flip over to Matthew for these. They are almost identical. So the first one is the first word picture that Jesus speaks about. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other also. Now there's a better translation um, in Matthew and it says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, offer him the left. All right? There's something important in that, the right and the left. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer him the left one. Slapping you is the action of a Roman centurion putting his slave in their place. It's an insult from the one who's high up to the one who's low down. An absolute insult. With the back of his right hand, the centurion slaps your right cheek. Turn to each other and have a go this morning. Now, I bet, I bet you've never been to church and been told to hit each other. So I don't actually mean this physically, but have a go, metaphorically. Turn to each other. (laughs) Thank you. Come on, Richard. Let's show. But have a go. Try and do it. With your right back hand, go for the right cheek of the person next to you. Come on. Let's do it. No, you look at me. You have to look at me. Like that. Okay, thank you. Gosh, he actually did that. Have you had a go? Does it work? It does work. Now, this is a really important protocol because if your master gets it wrong, he loses face, okay? It's such an important thing that... He can't get this wrong. Now, if I were the guy's equal, that centurion would do it differently. He'd punch me directly with his right fist on my left cheek. Have a go. Have a go. If I were his equal, he'd punch me with his right fist on my left cheek. Come on, Richard. Does it work? It does work. You enjoyed that, didn't you? Right. So imagine if after being insulted by a slap by the person's right hand on your right cheek, you turn and offer your left. Try it. Try it. Someone with their right hand, try and slap the left cheek. Can you do that? Or was it odd? It was very odd. It was very odd. And you have put, by doing that, turning your left cheek, you have put your master in a very difficult position. 
It's a defiant action. If you're going to hit me, hit me as your equal. Do it properly. Do you see what's going on here? More importantly, I've exposed the reality that you and he are not in right relationship with the God of all grace. And most importantly, you're opening up a non-violent space for grace to move in between two equals in the sight of God. It's called loving resistance, okay? Loving resistance, loving our enemies. Right, we'll go to the next one. What, what, what? <laughs> yeah. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt as well. Social context, only the privileged get to sue, and as a slave, all you own are the clothes on your back. So to sue you for your coat is robbery. However, making your slave semi-naked is illegal. It's illegal for a master or a centurion to make a slave semi-naked. So to give your master your shirt too is to insist that he explains himself in public for his actions. I think that's called whistleblowing, isn't it? Is that called whistleblowing? You're saying, this is unethical. This isn't right. Have any of you had to do that in your lives before? To whistleblow? Importantly, you're publicly exposing the injustice. And most importantly, you're opening up a space for grace to move in between two equals in the sight of God. I think that's called loving resistance. Last one. And we don't get this one in Luke, and I don't understand why. But it's not there, but it is in Matthew. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Under Roman occupation, a Roman soldier is allowed is allowed to conscript a Jewish civilian or a slave to carry his very heavy backpack for one mile only. That, remember, is costly to a Jewish civilian or a slave. It's probably equivalent with the return journey of a day's food for the family and a day's work pay. So it's costly and it's tough. But you're only allowed to do, ask for one mile. More than that is a punishable offence, even if you're a centurion or a master. And this is so precise, a social etiquette, that the Romans created mile markers on their big roads. I think we might have a picture of one. There's a few left in England. Here's one. They actually put mile markers on the roads because the law was so strict that you couldn't go past one mile. So what's happening here? You know where we're going with this, don't you? 
Jesus says, if you're forced to go one mile, go two. What is that? And now you see the audience are having a right laugh because they can imagine what's being asked of them. It's a subversive action. You have now a non-violent way of loving your enemies, but you also have in your mind a hilarious mental picture of your master begging you to stop and give him his backpack back, backpack back. Something to laugh about in this difficult situation. It's pure genius, isn't it? Pure genius. Importantly, you're exposing the pathetic, pathetic nature of evil. And more importantly, you're opening up a space to be able to laugh together at our human stupidity and the marvel at God's grace. Isn't that something? Can I just ask, have any of you heard that teaching before? Have you? I assume that maybe you already knew this, and if you did, we're just reaffirming it this morning. So how can these three little tiny pictures, word pictures, be good news for us today? We can only guess today at what Jesus might say to us, at what it might mean to love our enemies as we define new enemies and behaviours. But these ancient words, pictures, once understood so well by Jesus' immediate audience, provide the basis for us to find new and creative ways to lovingly resist evil, to lovingly resist our enemies. And of course, sometimes to be resisted. We're called to love those who would want to bite us. The gospel does not give us permission to do any other. We have no right to walk away or slap back or close doors on those who would wish to hurt us. And that is really costly. But James Breach in the silence of Jesus says, love your enemies is a recipe for deconstructing the little bundle of lies that says hatred and vengeance win. So every time we manage to break the vicious circle, resisting evil without being sucked into it, we're getting closer, aren't we? to God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. Every time we manage to do that, and we only manage to do it by God's grace, this isn't a natural thing to be able to do. It's not what we generally do. We generally want to protect ourselves. And it's usually by some pushback. So now I'm going to update you on Evelyn. You know Dr. Evelyn Spack, who I don't know why she keeps coming up in our conversations, but um, I do need to report back to you on her because um, it's so relevant to what we're saying this morning. So listen up. 
If you haven't been here, Dr. Evelyn Spack is a war surgeon working for the International Red Cross. And um, since she came here at Christmas to an Advent service, and she has been popping in for three years since she heard the band in Argyle Street, praise God. Um, she heard the voice of God after 25 years of wandering in the spiritual wilderness at one of our Advent services and has kept in touch with us. She was sent in February to the Yemen, and we prayed for her last week, one of the most hostile hate hating zones in the world. Um, and what I have to report back to you today is that on Friday, yesterday, the International Red Cross pulled out their whole team, 71 staff in the Yemen. They flew them out in emergency planes because the war and the hatred has got too much. They cannot do their work of healing until the warring parties stop biting each other. And this week, Evelyn and a small team were um, called to go into some kind of wilderness country. She's really the team leader on this um, expedition. She shouldn't be doing surgery, but she's such a fine surgeon that they called her in. Doctors without, with, without borders called her in to do some surgery. And um, it wasn't successful surgery, but she did her best. And on the way back, um, their little convoy was bombed. And um, her van went down the slope and they thought she was dead. And she, um, she was flown to uh, the hospital in Sana and um, she couldn't feel her arms or her legs. Um, but some of the use has come back the, in her, her arms and we think she's gonna be well. But yesterday they flew the whole team and her in a special envoy plane to go back to the University Hospital in Geneva, where she is now. And we've been keeping in touch by email. Um, by the grace of God, his love endures forever. Probably six months ago, for Evelyn, that would have just been a piece of clever work. But you see, now she's found faith again. And this all matters, loving your enemies, loving with a different mindset, loving with a different heart. And you know what? She calls us her church family. And that's why I'm telling you so we can pray for Evelyn. Um, she needs to know. And she sends her love today to you all and calls you her church family. But this is the reality in the big stuff. How do we love our enemies in the face of all of that? And you know, the amazing thing is her testimony is she's doing it. She's doing it. We perhaps are not called to such big acts of loving resistance, but to small ones. And Henry Nguyen says, Whenever contrary to the world's vindictiveness, we love our enemy, we exhibit something of the perfect love of God, whose will is to bring all human beings together 
as children of one Father. When we forgive instead of getting angry at one another, bless instead of cursing one another, tend one another's wounds instead of rubbing salt into them, hearten instead of discouraging one another, give hope instead of driving one another to despair, hug instead of harassing, welcome instead of cold-shouldering, thank instead of criticising, praise instead of maligning. In short, whenever we opt for and not against one another, we make God's unconditional love visible. We are diminishing violence and giving birth to a new community. And we can only love extremely when we know ourselves extremely loved by God and living in the assurance that we are extremely loved, we become able to pass it on. Can you imagine when we all get to live this way? We become this kind of movement that swings into action at at a moment's notice on behalf of making real on earth, here and now, the loving purposes of God. So may we who know ourselves extremely loved, love to the extreme. And may we keep those hearts of ours that want to shut the doors, that want to bite back, open for Christ's peace to pour out of the cross and through the church and through us to a world that so badly needs to know. It is extremely, wildly loved. Amen.